Pray with me, please. Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still that we might hear from you. Amen. Let's lobby the city to build us an exit off the overpass. This was the vision of a big city megachurch as detailed in Pastor Tim Settle's book, Shrink. As we think about the future, this church decided, and as we dream of what God might be calling us to as a worshiping community, let's do that, they said. Let's lobby the city to build us an exit off the overpass. Otherwise, they said, we will not be able to get people in and out of our parking lots and back onto the highway fast enough. And in that case, our growth will stall and people will start looking for another church. So, they reasoned, let's lobby the city to build us an exit off the overpass. And according to the book, they did. And according to the book, after spending several million dollars, it worked. And according to the book, church attendance went from 25,000 people to 30,000 people on Sundays, all thanks to their grand vision for the church to build a new exit ramp off the highway overpass. Here, meanwhile, is the story of another church and of their vision for the future. This was a much smaller church, one that prior to their new vision was averaging about 100 people each Sunday. But that was before their pastor decided to preach a very political sermon one Sunday during COVID-19. And in this sermon, not only did he rail against pandemic precautions that he was unhappy about, but he began mentioning politicians by name and making a very clear case concerning who, in his view, was problematic and who was not. Well, according to an article about this church in The Atlantic, prior to this sermon, the pastor had never been very political. But this day he was. And according to the article, many of those in the congregation ate it up. Some, of course, were offended by it and left, but many were galvanized by it. In the following week, some new faces appeared in the pews. So the pastor once again turned his attention to the topic of contemporary politics fulminating yet again about who was ruining the country and about what ought to be done about it. In the following week, more people. And we could go on with this story, but I'll abbreviate it simply to say that week after week the pastor began to do this. That is, once he'd seen how many people his politically aimed sermons were drawing into the church, And within a year, that little church of 100 people was suddenly seeing upwards of 1,500 people showing up on Sundays. True story. All because the pastor had stumbled onto a new vision for the church, 
Preach politics and watch the membership rolls swell. Well, this all reminds us, of course, of Jesus' first words to his disciples that day on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Repent, he told them, and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. So go and lobby city councils and build highway exits in my name, preaching partisan politics whenever and to whomever you possibly can. A joke, of course. And we giggle at it. Some of us do. But the truth is, it's all very sad. For while 30,000 people attending church on Sunday is certainly not a bad thing, setting a vision for the future predicated upon getting people in and out of a parking lot fast enough most certainly is a bad thing. And while the gospel of Christ Jesus most certainly does have political implications, and while that which we believe concerning God's coming kingdom ought always to inspire how we live and move and have our being in this world, nonetheless, to purposely manipulate church growth through the parroting of cable news talking points. That's just downright cynical, whatever the politics. Now what's sad is that neither of these strategies, neither of these visions for a church's future is in keeping with the fruits of the Spirit, nor is either of them aimed at the coming kingdom of God as proclaimed by and as embodied by Christ Jesus. And while I could cite countless stories like these, I reference these two simple examples today because they are representative of two strategies often seen today across the American church landscape. For in response to the declining numbers that continue to haunt and plague the American church, a reality we considered together last week, in response to this, many churches are choosing to respond to this reality by becoming more pragmatic or by being more political, by doing things like lobbying their city councils or by preaching culture war sermons, by trying to make things bigger and flashier, or by trying to make things more biting and more exclusive. And the sad truth is these strategies work. At least for a short while they do. So the sad truth is for a short while these strategies work. That is, if the end game is simply about numbers for numbers' sake. Dear Boulevard family, let me bear my heart with you this morning. When Christ Jesus called his first disciples by proclaiming to them that the kingdom of God was near, 
And when he later bid those same disciples farewell by commissioning them to go into all the world making disciples in his name, I don't believe that the good news that he was calling them to and then commissioning them to go and spread had anything to do whatsoever with the pursuit of numbers for numbers' sake. I just don't. I just don't. And to be perfectly fair, I don't think many of the churches that get caught up in the pursuit of numbers for numbers' sake really think that it does either. Instead, I think they just feel the squeeze and the pressure of dwindling numbers and of external competition. And then instinctively feel that if they don't come up with something new and fast, something creative, something emotive, something inspiring, then folks will leave their churches for bigger, more exciting, more seemingly successful ones. And so then they begin to envision from there. That is, they begin to build on that foundation. Rooted in a mindset of scarcity and fear, they imagine success as looking like more and more people coming back in and like ever-growing and ever-expanding bottom lines. And then in response, therefore, without even meaning to, they then begin to assess the effectiveness of their ministries by those sorts of metrics. And it's ever-perpetuating. For how else do you explain excitement filling a church on account of a new exit ramp? How else do you account for preaching politics and then calling it discipleship? Dear family, in such cases, the end, the goal is altogether amiss. And from the beginning, the motivation, it's just plain wrong. For whether one has 30 people or 30,000 attending on a Sunday signifies nothing about God's coming kingdom being near unless the church's practice bears kingdom fruit. Just as church pronunciations about contemporary issues mean nothing for God's kingdom, unless the church is simultaneously exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit. Thus, the point of this sermon. As we, Boulevard Baptist Church, continue to envision our way forward through the current religious landscape, through this time when increasingly fewer people in America are affiliating with churches and when, in response, many American churches are frantically trying to figure out how to be more relevant in order to buck the trend. In such a time, let us not grow anxious and let us not operate out of a mindset of scarcity or fear. For I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. For my word will not return unto me void, saith the Lord, but will accomplish that for which I purpose it. 
us in such an anxious time in church culture. Let us trust in the one who promises such things. And rather than root our vision for the future in the soil of scarcity, and rather than measure the effectiveness of our ministry in terms of membership and budget numbers, let us root our vision in the soil of the fruit of the Spirit. And let us measure effectiveness as anything that points to or exemplifies or further embodies the coming kingdom of God as described by and as embodied by Jesus. For if it doesn't originate in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, if it doesn't originate in those fruits, it doesn't matter how good an idea is. For it's not in keeping with the soil that we as disciples ought to be planting in. And if it's not aimed toward making manifest the kingdom of God, if it can't be demonstrably shown to be making things slightly more on earth as they are in heaven, then no matter how successful or entertaining or exciting that church endeavor might be, it ought not to be for us. For the aim is altogether wrong. Such a vision, of course, necessarily means no new highway exits or no cable news sermons for us. Which could also mean fewer people visiting on Sundays than if we did build a highway exit or preach politics. But it also means true disciples can be formed in this place. It also means lasting work for God's kingdom can be done here among us. That also means true community can be formed here in our midst. In short, it also means we will be a church in the spirit of and toward the end that Jesus Christ calls us to be a church. Rooted in the fruit of the Spirit and aimed toward God's coming kingdom. The ground and the goal. A rubric of sorts for our church's success in a time when churches across the country are all anxious about the future. It might not be flashy, but it is a vision. And as the prophet says, without a vision, the people perish. The foolish, says Jesus, build houses on the sand. And when the storms come, they are blown off their foundations. But the wise build their houses on the rock. And when the storms come, they cannot be shaken. Let those with ears to hear, hear. And all God's people said, Amen.
And as we now prepare to